Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Positive Talk Podcast with co-hosts Julie Homridge and Chuck Allen. They are in Season 2, Merging Faith and Psychology, and you picked a great day to join in the conversation. At Positive Talk Podcast, a licensed therapist and a pastor join voices to help us all discover a more peaceful and purpose-filled life. So settle in and join Julie and Chuck for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's a great day to find an encouraging and positive word here at the Positive Talk Podcast. And thanks so much for that introduction. It's always so kind. Okay, Julie, we've all had one or more of these, the meltdown. Oh, yes. I bet you don't have those very regularly, do you? I have them all the time. Very rarely Yeah, I bet very you don't. often. I, no, I bet... <laughs> What did I say? Very rarely? Very rarely. Let me yes, just say, I don't have them very rarely. I have okay. them very often. No, I don't. So let me let me just say on behalf of our uh, listeners today, I am tired. <laughs> so I think most of us are. It's, it's the week yeah. after Easter. You're a pastor. Like, what the heck? That's a you lot. Know, like, That's a lot. I need to take a nap before I record, but we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. We're pressing on. Here mm-hmm. we go. I'm going to try to say that all over again. Okay. <laughs> hey, Julie. We've all had one or more of these, the meltdown, that time when your frustration, anger, exhaustion, and impatience collide, and you just have a complete meltdown. Mm -hmm. I've had them. I've seen every child, all six daughters have them. Mm -hmm. I've seen my wife had them. I've had people have them in my office. Yes. Um, But trying to figure out how do you recover from that seems to be a significant, significant issue. I mean... Because meltdowns are not pretty. No. You, you never are showing the best of yourself. The best side of you. And yeah, yeah it's, it just doesn't work. So I've seen folks in midstream meltdown and wondered, can they recover from this? Mm-hmm. And in a world today where everybody has a, a, a camera in their hand yeah. all the time, odds are good your meltdown is being seen by no telling how many people. And the more public you are as a figure, the more your meltdown is public and hence can change the rest of your life. Yeah. You would think that would normalize the fact that we're all imperfect, but instead it's almost like we exploit people when they're in those weak moments. Yeah. America is not kind to the meltdown. Yeah. So I've seen it up close and, and directed at me sometimes the meltdown Mm -hmm. occurs, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, okay, Chuck, I, you created a sense of something Mm -hmm. emotionally that stirred that up. And I think we look at it and think, how did we get from where we were to melt down? What happened there? Yeah, like zero to 100 quickly. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So to get us underway, let's look at a quick definition of what we're tackling on this week's episode, which is an emotional meltdown is truly like a, a result of severe, overwhelming emotional distress. Right. And that's something we all relate to. But symptoms can range from uncontrollable crying and weeping or uncontrollable rage. Mm -hmm. It can also be more prolonged. It can lead to depression, severe anxiety. It can cause our moods to swing wildly. Mm -hmm. I bet that sounds familiar to almost everybody. Mm -hmm. So today, Julie, we we have a task ahead of us, and that is to help all of us avoid more meltdowns but it definitely figure out how to recover from them. Right. Uh, it feels like trying to figure out how to recover from them also allows you to minimize them. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it is a chicken before the egg kind of thing. Yeah, it helps you understand kind of what led to it. Yeah, so because recovering from a total emotional meltdown can seem like the most impossible task when you're in the thick of it, 
but a little conscious thought and a little gentle self-care, you really can get back on the horse again after the meltdown. Yeah. Well, and you know, Chuck, you mentioned children. I think we often think of meltdowns in the context of children, Absolutely. but especially in the past few years with rising tensions in our world and our personal lives, I think we've all been on the brink of an emotional meltdown every now and then. Or what I've seen oftentimes is that some people live in this state where they're constantly on the edge of the meltdown, which is a hard spot to be. So what does an emotional meltdown look like in adults? It could be relational or Mm -hmm. what we call interpersonal. This is when suddenly we snap at a partner or Mm -hmm. a colleague or a friend and we say things that may have been building up for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also have an intrapersonal meltdown, which means it's an internal struggle, right? We've all heard of the midlife crisis where someone starts to question their meaning or purpose. Um, Emotional meltdowns can last moments or months. Uh, They have varying degrees of intensity, Um, and they're almost always related to a trigger and how our nervous system responds to that trigger. So like you said, Chuck, we hear a lot about how to prevent meltdowns, like good communication, self-care, regular spiritual practices that keep us kind of rooted and grounded, but we don't often hear a lot about what to do after we've had one. And this is what we're going to tackle today. What does the repair process look like? If we've created pain or damage to a loved one or to ourselves, what do we do then? How do we kind of fix that and move forward? Well, that that is a completely loaded question for a guy that has an earned doctorate in meltdowns. <laughs> Learned so, experience. Yeah. There we go. So I, I do have a thought or two. Yes. Um, I, in full transparency for our audience, I would say it, it's probably helpful for you to know that uh, I have had probably more the, more meltdowns than the average person. Hmm. And some of that is I've had to deal with internal anger mm-hmm. a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, therapists that have the ability to call that out of us where I can see it, understand it, and then help me cope and change through mm-hmm. it has been really helpful. Yeah. When you've also had increased exposure to a wide variety of people in your role. So that can trigger emotional responsiveness more than maybe the average person. Yeah. So I think just with that in mind, one of the things that I have found that really is helpful for me in trying to recover from a meltdown, whether it's internal Mm -hmm. or whether I'm experiencing it inside my family or Mm -hmm. whatever that may be, is to step back and walk away. Yeah. It is always easier to try to fix the problem when I can disassociate my act, my immediate actions from it. Mm -hmm. Right. So to step back from that, I do think it it really does help us. So when you melt down, you need somebody to help relieve you of your instant pressure. Yes. I view it as like a pressure cooker, right? It builds up all that pressure and suddenly... But without somebody, that pressure seems to stay locked within us. Right. And that can come out sideways in depression and anxiety. So like if if your body has a fever, Mm -hmm. you're running a high temperature, Mm -hmm. well, you you would have to do something. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it just doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. You have to address it. Well, I I think an emotional meltdown is an emotional fever. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, like, I've heard you say this a thousand times, I bet. So these emotions are signals. They're telling us Messengers, something. Messengers, yeah. Yeah, so, th- mm-hmm. so this meltdown is like, okay, hear, this, hear the horn that's blowing, mm-hmm. tornado's on the way. Mm-hmm. We have to step back from it. So yeah. I think it's okay to ask your partner or friend to take on your primary tasks for 
whatever time you need to re- recoup. Mm-hmm. To uh, Brene Brown tells a story, uh, Julie, about how when she was a bartender and a uh, and a server in a in a bar and restaurant kind of place, that there was one thing you would, you could be a little overwhelmed and be busy with tables, and you could tell in the people, weeds. Yeah, I'm in the weeds. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're just okay, I can't do it anymore. You walk in and I'm blown. And she says, when you tell them I'm blown, Uh then the chef who's running everything starts assigning your tables to other people people. and make Mm -hmm. sure that they take your task. Mm -hmm. I've always looked at that as such a neat mental image that when it comes to this, you need a break to recover. And we need to do that so that we can lighten the load and see it for what it is. Yeah. Right? Well, and when, when we think about a meltdown and, you know, what happens... As a result of that, I think we can think about it in terms of short-term repair and long-term repair. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also want to look at what cycles do we get into. Some people, you know, it's very easy for us once we've had an emotional meltdown to get stuck in a shame cycle afterward where we are just continually judging yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And we're not using compassion for ourselves in those moments, yeah. which leads us to further meltdowns. But to kind of break it down, uh, let's address that short-term repair first. It's just happened, right? Um, One thing that you can do, the first thing that you can do is to allow your body to metabolize all the stress chemicals that were just released. Now, I've mentioned this a few times, but I think it is so crucially important to recognize that when we get emotionally activated, our body responds. Our body is is saying, okay, we got to do something, right? We got to fight. We got to fight. We got to freeze. And so our body releases these chemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, a host of other chemicals that move us into action. And if you are in actual danger, that action is helpful. But if you're not in actual danger, just overwhelmed, we can lash out at our loved ones as if they are the enemy, right? And so remember this, when your brain is in that mode, in fight, flight, or freeze mode, it feels threatened and it will find an enemy, even if there isn't one. So that could be an unsuspecting partner, or uh, you might turn this inward and have some self-shame towards yourself and Mm -hmm. suddenly you're the enemy um, and you are blaming yourself and you're you're shaming yourself. Um, So some folks find it helpful to pause in these moments of emotional overwhelm and ask themselves the question, okay, is this person, you know, is my partner or is, you know, my boss or whoever, is this truly the enemy or am I just overwhelmed and really want to take that out on someone? That feels like an incredibly healthy question, spiritually and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Well, because that's our natural tendency is to try to find somebody to project our emotions onto. So how long does this take? Uh, It takes about 20 minutes for those stress hormones to um, get metabolized in the body to where we can actually be at a kind of a calmer place, um, up to 20 minutes. So you can take a moment to calm down and hear this, allow yourself to cry if needed. Now, tears, they're truly healing. Um, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, Chuck, but it's fascinating because our body, you know, that we talk about the hormone cortisol as a stress hormone. So when we feel stress, cortisol gets built up in our bodies. It causes a lot of different things. But when we cry, our body releases cortisol and adrenaline through our tears. I never knew that. I find that such a beautiful picture of how God created us to be free to cry when needed. Which would give me, again, as as a pastor, 
another way in which you can see that faith and psychology are hand-in-glove experiences. Right. That our creator built us in such a way with this wonderful brain and this wonderful body that he literally had a way in which we could let that cry out. Release, yeah, yeah. release. And I, I think, Julie, that's the thing about crying is um, we have taught such a large part of male our male populace, mm-hmm. that it's so non-manly mm. to cry. Yeah. And I, I have seen men in my office in their 50s cry for the very first time in their life. Wow. And think to myself, you you really have probably taken years off your life Yeah. by not allowing this to happen. Right, yeah, because you know? where do you store all of that built-up yeah, yeah. tension? And so uh, you, I, I learned that researchers have established that crying release, releases... Oxy, is it oxytocin or Ox- cocin? Oxytocin. Oxytocin. Mm-hmm. I knew I would screw that up. No. <laughs> and, and indigenous opioids. I, how about that? Endorphin Meaning type, that yeah. Meaning are literally, there are literally those things in your body. Uh-huh, natural opioids. Uh-huh. That have the capacity to, to work your way through this. Yeah, to give you a, a sense of release. So, or relief. But I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I know you, I mean, you bright people refer to this as endorphins. <laughs> I, I think everyone refers to them as endorphins. I don't. I, I, I don't think I've ever used the term endorphin in a sentence before until right okay. now. Just saying. But so, but I do know this: they're feel-good chemicals. Yes, they right? are. And and they help us with physical and emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And as challenging as it might be, the best way to handle difficult feelings, including sadness, grief, etc., is to embrace them. Yeah. So make sure to take the time and find a safe space. To cry if you need to. Crying can actually be a sign of healing. Yeah. And one of my pet projects as a as a faith leader is to help young boys and young men know that it's more than okay to cry. Mm-hmm. And you might actually be expressing strength, not weakness, because it can reduce negative health behaviors and help them have fuller, happier lives. That is absolutely right, Chuck. It is so crucially important to be able to open up that conversation um, for young boys and and young girls as well um, to help them learn just the importance of how God created our bodies um, to release some of that stress through tears. Okay, so next, once we are emotionally and chemically regulated, we've kind of taken that time, we've allowed ourselves to release some of those uh, stress hormones if needed through tears or other activity, then it's time to start the repair process. Mm -hmm. So I tell clients often that resilience is built through the process of rupture and repair. Mm, Okay, we we will not be resilient if we don't have anything to bounce back from, right? right? So I encourage you, do not despise your times of mistake mistake or weakness, they can build valuable opportunities to build your resilience if you handle them graciously. Everybody wants what you just described, right? Mm, but not the process yeah, to get there. <laughs> but the process is is the critical part here, yes. which includes don't beat yourself up mm-hmm. for being human. Yes. It's not so much about what's happened, but what you tell yourself you about yeah, what's happened. So how do we repair? Let's talk about that. You know, I think it's important to have taken that time mentioned earlier to calm down so that we can adequately understand the factors that led us to lashing out in the first place, Um, whether it was, you know, stress or a a particular thought pattern. Um, And then 
from there, we can communicate clearly with our loved ones mm-hmm. or friends or colleagues what we are actually sorry about. So I don't right. know about you, Chuck, right, but right. have you ever had somebody kind of give you an apology that's sort of vague and forced or like, I'm sorry that you were hurt by me or something, right? Um, usually it's because they are either not really ready to repair mm-hmm. or they haven't taken the time to really consider what happened and what actually went wrong. So that... In some ways, that uh, that can actually make things worse. Yes, yes, it can. So, in your apology, wow, you just <laughs> shut me down and went another direction to no. finish this up. So, I, I want w- our listeners to know that Julie just gave me that look, like, "Don't interrupt us again." No, no, no. It was because I was going to go off on a tangent, and I thought, "Shocking." Stick. Stick stick to the I goal. Am nor- I am normally the tangent person. <laughs> yeah, I was about to go there. So right, in, back to in the point, interest though. of honoring everyone's yeah. time who's listening, in your apology, try to do three things, okay? The first one is to take ownership of your part, right? To really take responsibility and take ownership for, you know, I didn't use self-control right. or I said something hurtful. Um you know, really taking ownership of that without necessarily trying to explain why you think the other person is wrong. Right. Number two, seek to make restitution with an identifier of what could be different next time. Yeah. Now, this yeah, is really like that. important that you've taken that time ahead of time to consider what led you up to that meltdown. We call this a behavior chain analysis mm. in the clinical world. Um, and that way, once you've identified what led you to it, you can identify spaces of intervention in the future of where you could do something different so yeah. that the outcome is not the same next time. Then you can communicate this to the person that you hurt. And number three, don't force forgiveness. Okay. This is allowing the other person the space that they need to process. You know, I don't know if you've heard this being a pastor, but sometimes there's this sense of anxiety around um, relational discomfort that people want to force force forgiveness. Um, And then it actually just ends up creating more tension and resentment in the relationship moving forward because the person isn't quite ready. It really does. Here's what I love about... um, teaching on forgiveness Mm -hmm. is that most of us have been taught that forgiveness is an action, Mm -hmm. like a transaction, Mm -hmm. when more often than not, forgiveness is a season. Right. And so it's also important, and this this came hard for me to learn, but uh, I I found this to be so helpful in the recovery of of emotional meltdown, Mm -hmm. and that is that forgiveness is an inside job. Yes, Forgiveness is rarely that, like the multiple times that I hurt your feelings, Julie, for me to go there and just say, hey, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. that's one thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's another thing for you to be able to say, well, you know, that's, I'll address that with Chuck at the appropriate time, but I'm not going to take that on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But So I, I had this situation where I had wronged somebody in the church. Okay. And as a pastoral leader, when you do that, it's like, okay, don't be stupid. Right, go fix it. Yeah. Right. I mean, Which, well, that's great that you have that. Well, that's my not, that's not my all, spiritual <laughs> word. Don't be all, stupid. Right. It's in the Beatitudes. Somewhere. So, um, so I go and I offer the kind of apology you're talking about. Which is, is, it's vague, it's not specific, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid the conflict. I just want to get the forgiveness off my right, plate. Right, right, right. And it, it did make matters worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating that forgiveness on both ends starts internally. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why it sometimes requires time for yeah. people to process through internally how to release that. Yeah. So, but but I I would say that the opportunity to enter into a healthy season of forgiveness as you work your way out of a meltdown starts with just having a conversation with your Creator. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Like. The scriptures are pretty clear. When we confess our sins to one another, God is faithful to forgive. Okay, what a perfect picture of yeah. God, right? Yeah. Because he wants his community to be able to function well. Mm-hmm. He is the glue that holds that function together. Yeah. So we start with forgiveness with him first. Because when I melt down and wound or hurt people, mm-hmm. I need to seek his forgiveness. Yeah. Well, and then he can provide just clarity for yeah. you, too. Yeah. So I, I guess to put that in a, in a short sentence would be, don't allow your human pride to keep you from seeing the power of a God that radically loves you in the midst of a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Don't keep him from being able to repair and start that healing process in your life by being so prideful that you wouldn't just talk to your creator about it. Yeah, and I want to... To, to land or, or to stay on something that you just said, a God who loves you radically in the midst of your meltdown. And yeah. I want to challenge our listeners right now that the same type of love and compassion that God has for us when we are in the middle of a meltdown, I want to encourage you to have that on yourself in the middle of a meltdown. So good. And I know yeah. that sounds kind of weird. Some people are so focused on it. I have to be hard on myself because that's the only way I'll stay in line. Right. Research shows that that is not what really keeps us in a healthy space psychologically. It's more self-compassion. So if we can receive that from the Lord and we can actually offer that to ourselves from Him, that helps us actually get out of the meltdown um, and then, you know, walk in love so that we're not melting down repeatedly in the future. Once again, it's the basis of this entire podcast Mm -hmm. because research and science would show that this has to happen. Mm -hmm. And scripture would say it's a necessity for this to happen. And you and I have proven in our own meltdowns and in our own work Mm -hmm. that this is this is such an an essential element. Yeah. Emerge. Yeah. For both. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just like it can take time to heal from a physical injury or surgery, you know, we don't have some major surgery and then just go right back to our regular tasks right right afterward. It can take time to heal from emotional meltdowns and the conflict that ensues from that. So Sometimes after a conflict with a family member or a friend or my spouse, I've described it as feeling like I have this kind of little emotional bruise. Like I just kind of feel like it's just a little bruised right now. So you can honor that need to heal. Take care of yourself physically and emotionally while you gather your emotional strength again. Mm. So this is where we have some self-awareness. We can determine what is going to help us gather that emotional strength back up. For me, as an introvert, this means maybe clearing an hour off of my calendar or not attending a social event. If you're an extrovert, maybe that's planning a social event with people who give you energy. Um, I view it as doing some emotional physical therapy Mm -hmm. to kind of build back your strength by focusing on a couple things. Focus on what's going right in your world. List a few things you learned from the meltdown. And then also prioritize ways to avoid some of that collateral damage next Mm -hmm. time you feel that type of emotional reactivity arise. I see see the need as as we human beings need. I see the need in the recovery of a meltdown 
for basic needs. Yes. Basic needs like food, water, sleep, mm-hmm. rest. Your body's been through something yeah. difficult. Yeah. And so just like you said, if, if this were a surgery, mm-hmm. we would know, okay, I need to eat. I need to drink plenty of water. Mm-hmm. I need rest. Yeah. Uh, this recovery is essential. But take baby steps. Have have a bite of something that is yes. healthy that will energize you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is so hard for me to work through in my generation, but I'm I'm learning this so much that when when I have an emotional meltdown mm-hmm. or I'm just a close to an emotional meltdown, mm-hmm. uh, what prevents that in my life is usually to stop and think. I need water. Yeah. I need something healthy to eat, mm-hmm. and I I need to regulate my rest pattern. Yeah, yeah. And I would add for some people, I need either connection or autonomy. Oh, like, absolutely. I need to be with someone or I need to be yeah, with yeah, myself. Yeah. yeah, being I'm in a role where I'm always with people. Mm-hmm. So for me to recover, I need solitude. Right. But now for my wife to recover, she needs community. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that is, yeah. a, is a big help. Yeah. So I would just say, um, one, when, when I recover from a meltdown, rather than trying to be a control freak to try to bust my tail to get out of it. Mm. The last thing I need is a to-do list. Yeah. I need a gratitude list. Yeah. It's like, well, I'll look at all, like you mentioned, here are all the things I should be grateful for. Let's go there rather than one more to-do list. Right. You know, because right. oftentimes the to-do list is what gets me there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And you need to, to fill your bucket back up as yeah. opposed to try So helping some, letting, letting somebody help you mm-hmm. and getting support will help you feel that you're not alone in your recovery from a meltdown. Yeah. I love it when I'm, when I really am, and I sound like I'm having meltdowns all the time, and I guess to some degree, by varying degree, I do. Well, we all, I mean, all of our nervous systems are different, and all of us have responses to the things yeah. around us. So I wouldn't say, you know, meltdowns are, there. there's different levels to them. Yeah, so wherever possible, I would say, if you need to cut out social arrangements to allow you to have solitude, if that's how you recover. Mm-hmm. But if but if you've if part of what got you there is solitude, force yourself back into community. Yeah, baby steps. Yeah, even just reaching yeah. out via text if you can't call or you know whatever it is, um, just to get connected. I would also say, and let me throw out kind of the hand grenade on this one is, just don't engage in social media when mm-hmm. you're trying to recover from a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, social media is not kind to transparency. Right. And you're, as we say, you're comparing your insides to someone else's outsides right. and that's going to leave you feeling at, absolutely in, in need <laughs> or yeah. at want. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, I've just created another series of meltdowns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I want to highlight that melting down, it isn't always a bad thing. That is, I love that statement. Yeah. Well, it's hard to explain, but so I... I like to explain it in terms of baking. I'm a baker. I'm a mom. And one thing I love to do with my kids is we take chocolate and we melt it into candy molds. How fun. Have you ever seen these? Yeah, I love and it. And we've made all kinds of things. We've made Lego bricks out of chocolate. Uh, Dr. Seuss Week, we made the Lorax mustaches. Mm. We've made little candy tools. A whole array of items out of chocolate that has been melted and then reshaped. So the heat, it can be destructive or it can be purifying and shaping. And the same thing goes with these emotional meltdowns. Every time I or my child have a meltdown, we have been shaped into something new from it. We've learned something from it. We've been molded into someone new with more information about ourselves, about our needs and our triggers and about the world around us. And 
Most importantly, we've also experienced grace from God and and each other in profound ways, allowing us to move forward and extend that grace to other people. Yeah, I love that. The, The concept of grace is so hard for we humans to really wrap our heads around mm-hmm. because you don't really know that you need grace until you desperately need, need grace. It and receive it, you know? yeah. But it's also this sense that um, God didn't intend us to be um, jars that would collect grace. Mm-hmm. He, he wired us up in such a way that we're to be conduits to extend grace. Yes, I love so that. So having people with us that can ex- help us extend that grace both to ourselves and to those around us is such a big deal. And, you know, uh, Julie, the, the the will of God in our life is rarely like water. It, it's not going to follow the path of least resistance. It, mm-hmm. There are times when the will of God requires that we're splatted up against a rock somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's when a meltdown happens. Yeah. But in that meltdown where the water crashes into that rock is where we find a new path. Right. And... It, but it, but it, these are essential things. Yeah. And I love this picture that if you're in the middle of a meltdown right now, the reason that we can say that, wow, it's, it's not always a bad thing mm-hmm. is because there's always a way to grow through it. Right. There's always a way. Like, I, I, I taught my kids this, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. Learn, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. what a meltdown is, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So, so my go-to in the recovery of a meltdown is... Re- one, give yourself moments of peace. Yeah. Um, quietude, solitude, meditation. It doesn't have to be hours long. Sometimes it's for me, it's just minutes. Right. And then uh, find something to read. If you're not a reader, find something to listen, listen to. Listen to, yeah. But uh, I have discovered that to take 20 minutes and just rest yeah. can change your perspective on everything. The whole trajectory of your day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage people, be creative. Yeah. Uh, go get a foot massage. Uh, what I, you know, what helps me more than anything is take a walk outside. Yeah, there's a little food. vitamin D goes a long oh, way. Yeah, absolutely. And a walk without noise. Mm-hmm. You know, just go ahead. So one of one of the reasons the meltdown occurs is because in the situation that you have been in, you probably haven't been taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 an emotional meltdown is a very very loud universal message, message. Yep. that you need to take care of yourself. Something mm-hmm. is off yeah. and you have the capacity to work your way out of it without guilt, without shame. Yeah. And you can recover. It's a, it's important to hear and to heed that message. Yes. And I love that you carried that through. This isn't just, okay, you have a meltdown and then you're stuck. It's, this is a message for you. There's something here that, you know, given that concept of having the the compassion for yourself in the midst of a meltdown and recognizing that this is a sign that not, you should be, you shouldn't be harder on yourself. You should be compassionate with yourself, gracious with yourself, and that will hopefully um, compel you to yeah. take care of yourself in a way that, um, you know, meltdowns are not as common, or if they are, they're not as destructive. Yeah. So I had a, uh, I don't even think I told you this, I had a meltdown a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, I allowed myself to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I allowed my sleep deficit to grow. That's Yeah, it's a big uh, one. I allowed time with the Lord to lapse. Mm-hmm. And I just had a little crash and burn. Mm-hmm. Now, the the wonderful thing is that I was able to stop, recognize it, went for the walk, yep. found a little solitude, mm-hmm. spoke openly and out loud to God 
starting yep. the forgiveness, mm -hmm. came back to the person I was with with an apology. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing, Julie, is that the way God's economy works in recovery mm -hmm. is that if we start with him, the mm -hmm. recovery is so much shorter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If we mm -hmm. save him for the last resort, we extend the misery. Right. Right. And so to start with him as such, a critical element in the recovery of a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so, then we're in a place of receiving. Yeah. And from there, we can have something to, to Yeah. Give. We we even talked uh, you know, off the microphone earlier that um, because of what I do and what you do, we're not we're not natural good at receiving. Receiving, yeah. But to, to receive grace mm -hmm. expedites forgiveness so much. Yes, it does. And so I would just say as we wrap up today's session that uh, just grab, grab hold of yourself a little bit and extend a little grace to yourself first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have a conversation with the Creator. Yeah. Allow Him to, to reshape how you see where you need to go at your very next step. Right. And know that you're nowhere near done in the midst of that. No, no. This is just a stepping stone. Yeah, to and you can actually grow through that in a, such a better way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some of the greatest lessons I've learned have cost me a lot relationally in a meltdown. Mm -hmm. But how many times have we repaired that relationship and even be better Stronger. because of the transparency to be able to say, wow, that just was not who I want to be. That's resilience. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, just a quick story. I was was I had a staff member some time back, and we were in a meeting in my office, and Julie, I lost it. Mm -hmm. And and when I lose it, it's so ugly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I've been pretty forthright on the on the podcast that most of my life I dealt with a bit of an anger issue, mm -hmm. you know. And so when I say I lost it, it's like people outside the office. Like they were Could looking in the window uh -huh. trying to figure out, did I kill somebody? Oh, okay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, but my, my season of recovery started quickly mm -hmm. because I immediately was like, Lord, please forgive me. That is not the man that you've called me to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not the man I, I'm desirous of being. Right. But then I had to go to the, to the staff member and say, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. That is not the leader I want to be. That is mm -hmm. not the person I want to be. That's not the friend I want to be to yeah. you. I am so sorry. Yeah. But I'll never forget the, the, his answer. And it was, it was loving and gracious but firm, mm -hmm. which was, man, listen, I know that's not you. And I totally forgive you. But it may take me a little while to work my way through it. Yes. And I just thought, how, how great is that answer? Mm -hmm. And that's such a good thing. For parents of kids yeah, too, yeah, you know, setting a boundary, you are firm and kind, yeah, but you're setting that boundary moving forward because that's his way of preventing him from having a meltdown, which is healthy. Is taking that time, yeah, yeah. So thank you all for joining us on another episode of the Positive Talk podcast. And uh, Julie and I will say regularly that the merger of faith and psychology is an essential part of us being able to live healthy, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical lives, mm -hmm. and. And so we really desire to, to share these with you every week so that you can share them with people that you believe they could help and assist. So we encourage you to hit the share button and share them with friends and family. We'll be back next week for another episode. And if I remember right, our topic next week is to talk about meltdowns in our children. Yes, how we can support them as adults and some things that maybe they can do as well. I can't wait to have this because I, I'm not sure as a parent in the younger days I dealt with them well.
It's hard because it triggers us. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. And remember, you can always find all of season one and season two of the Positive Talk podcast on our website, which is simply positivetalkpodcast.com. And we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, which is at Positive Talk Podcast. Thanks again for listening in. Go in peace and have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Julie and Chuck will be back next Thursday with another positive conversation as they merge faith and psychology. Have a great day, and as always, go in peace.